Welcome to Tea Time History Live. Chat, how are you doing, everybody? Today, we're going to be talking about the Magna Carta because we're nearly at the anniversary of its sealing. Tomorrow, it would be. Um, sealing in 1215. And also, we can't go by without talking about the incredible discovery of Thomas Cromwell's uh, Book of Hours by the uh, Hever Castle curatorial, curatorial team. So we're going to be discussing that as well. Um, so welcome. Hey, everybody. Um, hey, how are you all doing? I can see, oh, I can see your comments coming in. I'm doing fine, Sam. Thank you very much. Good morning, Loon Bliss. <laughs> Hi, Lottie Rose. How are you? Uh, now, I uh, will admit now, fully, full disclosure, I forgot my charges. So we will see how we get on. <laughs> I will, uh, hopefully, my electronics will do that thing where they threaten to go off. Uh, and then don't for a very long time. Hi, Colleen. Um, how are you doing over there in California? We have California-ish weather at the moment. It's the high 20s uh, degrees Celsius. So I don't know what that is. Is that getting the high 80s, something like that Fahrenheit? Lottie Rose, thank you so much for the badge. Beverly, good morning. Um, David in Chicago. You have your is that a History After Dark t-shirt you have, David? Fantastic. Deva Reed, hi, welcome. Um, <laughs> Lottie Rose, just started my lunch break and got my tea, so I can't wait. Yes, I also have a tea. Even though it is warm, the English still drink tea, as demonstrated here, uh, and water, just in case. So <laughs> we're going to uh, have all bases covered. So... I am, as usual, streaming live on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. So thank you so much if you are joining me live. It's fabulous. And thank you for all your comments underneath as well. If you're in the catch-up crew or you're listening on the podcast, a warm welcome to you too. Um, please, while we're on, and actually if you're on the catch-up, do the whole commenting and subscribing and sharing with your friends. Um, it really helps uh, get the word out and um, grow our little group, which is lovely. So um, you can also, as usual, support me with badges on Instagram like Lottie Rose. Beautiful Lottie Rose has just done for me. Thank you so much. Stars on Facebook and Super Chats on YouTube. But of course, what I would love you to do if you haven't done it already is come over to my Patreon, um, which is patreon.com forward slash British history. It's £5 a month and you get loads of benefits. And I've got a few coming up, including the um, blog, which I will finish tomorrow on um, Henry VIII's badges, sorry, Henry VIII's Queen's mottos and badges. It was something I did a, a bit of a... Um, a bit of a uh, oh, an exercise for myself, um, just to have them all in one place and be able to to see them all and have the explanations for them all. So I've put that into a blog, and that will be available soon. Um, if you are a patron, also put it on my paid Substack as well. But um, so the, uh, a shout out also to Leah and Belle because they have become patrons in the last week in fact they were on tour with me in May so it's lovely because we keep that relationship going um good afternoon in Coleraine is that how you say that um Soram Colleen you've had rain oh we've had rain too actually but heat big thunderstorms quite impressive sometimes the English weather actually is a little bit more than 
We have some interesting parts. Um, so I'm just getting my drinks closer to me so that I don't have to stretch over. So before we move on to our main piece today, which is um, about Magna Carta, because it's the anniversary of the, the sealing of Magna Carta. We'll go into that at, uh, tomorrow, 15th of June. That happened in 1215 at Rennymede. We're going to go into that. But before we do, there's a few things. One, um, I've just mentioned uh, the benefits of Patreon there. This Sunday, patrons will be able to book onto our next tour that's going live. It's called The Rise of the Tudors. Um, so um, we will be able to... Um, so, so if you're a patron, you're going to be able to book onto that from Sunday. Everyone else, uh, you can book on from the following Sunday. You can put your booking forms in, but um, they don't get... Uh, you don't get allocated a place until after the patrons have had a week uh maria hello philippa wait uh, are you talking about the half ish hour long v uh, youtube video you did a while back on the magna carta uh just now reblog i don't know i'm going to um i have got a uh, a video on youtube about the magna carta as well but we're going to have a general discussion about it today as well because we are so close to the anniversary but before we do, let's, we have to talk about the new discovery, Thomas Cromwell's Book of Hours discovered by, or the provenance of it discovered and, and um, uh, yeah, by the uh, the team at Hever Castle, Ali Palmer, Kate McCaffrey and Dr. Owen Emerson, which is Dr. Ali Palmer, Dr. Owen Emerson, and Kate, I'm sure, will be one of those soon, but she is fabulous. Her work is just incredible. And Kate had done a lot of work on Anne Boleyn's printed book of hours. And she did an interview with me about that, about her work, about the book, explained way more about, um, you know, we know what a book of hours is. It sort of punctuates the day with with prayers and um but I hadn't quite grasped what a printed book of hours meant as opposed to um, the other book of hours, which is at Hever, which is a scribed um, book of hours. Good morning, Linda. How are you? How are you? Um, so, um, yeah, so that is a, um, a great interview to watch. And Kate was talking about how so she's discovered other inscriptions in Anne's book of hours the printed book of hours which gives evidence to the journey it took following Anne's execution that research formed the basis of the um oh thank you Maria she's put the link into the um into the comments um that research by Kate McCaffrey formed the basis of the exhibition which is on currently which is on Catherine and Anne, because as part of that research, Kate discovered that Catherine of Aragon's Book of Hours, which is held in um, the place I always forget, it's a museum in New York. Always forget it. I've written it down so many times. Anyway, um, was part of the same batch that came from the same printers in Paris. And... Um, they were displayed together from the start of the exhibition in February through till the 4th of June. So only a, 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 about 10 days ago. Um, 
Now, I went down to the exhibition. I went down to see the exhibition. And then, of course, I was there with the Anne Boleyn tour group, which I took there in May. And I spoke to Ali and Kate and they said, I said, well, what are you going, what are you going to have in place of Catherine's book when it has to go back to its owners? And uh, they couldn't tell me what they had, but they were very excited about it. It transpires now, we know from a few days ago, that it is another book printed in the same, at the same time from the same place. Um, and it belonged to Thomas Cromwell. Not only that, but it's thought that it is the Book of Hours, which is featured in that famous portrait of Cromwell by Holbein. It sat prominently on the table in front of him. Um, that Book of Hours is now on display uh, in place of the Catherine of Aragon Book of Hours at Hever as part of their exhibition. Now, of course, I'm very lucky because I get to see that again. We're going to Hever very soon on the Private Life of Anne Boleyn tour, um, which begins on the 29th of June. So you can, again, follow us on social media. If you're in Patreon, I will put, try and put more stuff into Patreon. Part of that tour, Kate is actually, she was already coming to talk to us about Anne's Book of Hours. And of course, now she can talk to us about Thomas's book of hours as well. I will be recording that uh, talk and that will be available in my Patreon as well. So if you're a patron and you're not on the tour, which I know lots of you have been on tour with me and love the talks, I will record that talk and it will go into my Patreon. If you're not a patron, by the way, it's really easy to sign up, patreon.com forward slash British history. And, uh, and so you will get to see that talk from Kate as well. And it's fabulous because we're having that talk from Kate and then we're going around Hever Castle. It's close to the public when we get to go around so people will get to go up close well, behind the glass, but to see, um, to see Cromwell's Book of Hours. Um, and then we're eating in the Great Hall and Kate and Owen and Ali will be joining us. So that's very exciting. Um, Lottie Rose, a few nights in Chooks we first, I think. Yes, yes. So we start, the private life of Anne Boleyn starts, um, well, we're basing ourselves in Chooksbury, this fabulous hotel. It's really beautiful. Um, amazing views in every direction. In one direction, though, particular, you particularly you look out, out over Tewkesbury so you see the abbey um, which is down there and we're using part of the summer progress of 1535 which Anne and Henry took as a backdrop to exploring um, the, uh, the, the, the the more private the more personal side of Anne at a happier time in her life. The May tour that I do um, does focus on her downfall more on the 1536 events. Um, so it's nice to do one that is um, more focused on happier times. So very, very exciting. And like I say, if you're in my Patreon, then you will get to see the talk that, of, that Kate McCaffrey is giving to us about the Book of Hours of Anne and Thomas Cromwell. So that's rather exciting. Um, and as Marie has pointed out, Marie has pointed out, there is a interview already that I did with Kate just on Anne's Book of Hours um, on YouTube, which is well worth a look because um, it really goes into um, you know, just how special, it's really his sort of, it's a printed book, um, 
as opposed to a scribed book, I thought that perhaps it wasn't quite as, I don't know, quite as rare. It's not quite. Morgan Library. Thank you, Deborah. Deborah Reed. Ah, I can't. I, I, in my head, I get Metropole every time. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Morgan Library. Thank you. Um, that is where Catherine of Aragon's Book of Hours is. Oh, um. So yeah, the, the video with uh, Kate, if you want to uh, Google it, you look on uh, look up The Secrets Within Anne Boleyn's Book of Hours with Kate McCaffrey. It's on my channel, which is British History. Uh, Becky, what is a Book of Hours? So a Book of Hours is effectively a um, personal prayer book that takes you through the hours. It's based on sort of the monastic idea of, of, of saying prayers at certain times of the day. These are personal um uh, items that someone would have so you get inscriptions in them you get um uh birth dates things like that written in them for instance this is always a tidbit that i like coming back to we only know henry VIII's date of birth because it was written in margaret beaufort's book of hours so when when we talk about women females um don't have uh you know, in history, or they weren't recorded because they were they were women. Their date of birth weren't recorded because they were women. Henry VIII's date of birth wasn't recorded. We only know it because it was in Margaret Beaufort's Book of Hours. So let's not make massive assumptions along lines that we like to today. Linda um, Cromwell's book will be at Hever for the September tour. Also, it will. So Linda will get to see it in September. Um, I'm really. I'm actually genuinely more excited about seeing Cromwell's Book of Hours than I am than I was Catherine of Aragon's Book of Hours um uh pretty as a pit as a, the picture are they like a diary some people did use them like a diary yeah they seem to have done anyway um there is one in if you look at my video about the thousand years worth of treasures at Worcester uh, Cathedral Library there's one in one or two in there as well um, Lottie Rose, Margaret Beaufort, an absolute machine. <laughs> Love her, what a woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's very exciting. I will be interviewing Nicola Tallis soon. Well, I'll be interviewing her in August about Margaret Beaufort. So, again, if you're a patron, you will get to submit your own questions for Nicola and I will put them to her in the interview. And then you get to see that part of the interview exclusively as well. Mm. I'm not sure that milk's any good. Right. <laughs> um, book of Hours. Yes, so sorry, what was I saying? That I was really excited about Cromwell's Book of Hours. And I think it's because if it is the one in the portrait, then we're, we're it's sort of another link to the person who owned it in that we know that Thomas Cromwell owned it, so we know he touched it, we know he interacted with it because they're very... You know, these are books to be used daily. Um, yeah, um, you have different versions, but so some are for daily. Some might be a, a book of ours also might be a larger one for in a family home. But anyway, they're, they're interacted. They're books you interact with. But it, because you can see him and it, and it in the portrait, it's another um, it's it's another link, which is incredible, isn't it? Um Caroline, can I get Owen to join a tea time? Do you know, I never ask anyone for the daytime ones. I do, um, we are we are on History After Dark, um, which if any of you don't know is the show I do with 
um, Kat Marchant and Catherine Ibbotson Brooks uh, on a Wednesday night at 8.15. Um, we are, the intention was always to get some guests on there and we've done it occasionally, but we need to get better at sorting that out. So anyway, so that's 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 the book of hours. Very, very excited. Yes, Linda's going to get to see it in September. Anyone who's coming on tour with me this year actually will get to see that um, because all the tours are going to Heaver. Um, and like I say, next... Hi, Melissa, how are you doing? Um, the, uh, the next tour to be released, The Rise of the Tudors, that will be available to book to patrons from Sunday. So The Rise of the, the, Rise of the Tudors is going to be very exciting we're going to get to go to Pembroke Castle, Raglan Castle, Gloucester Cathedral, Winchester, uh, Ludlow and Worcester and really you know start to explore uh, how a obscure line uh, became such a pivotal famous influential dynasty. Kind of exciting. Plus, you get to go to some really great places that are a little bit awkward to get to. Um, if you're, you know, well, I don't know. I don't know whether um, Denny will agree, but getting down to Pembroke is, it's a long way. Um, it's a bit awkward and there doesn't seem to be any faster way of doing it. So it's uh, it's going to be nice to go as a uh, as a group and take people somewhere maybe they wouldn't normally get to go to. But today, and before my batteries run out oh becky um so rise of the tudors will be september 2024 from the 21st till the 27th it's actually a longer tour this is a six nighter um so yeah it'd be great let's talk magna carta now magna carta is probably more familiar to you if you are in america than if you are in the uk which seems a little bit perverse in as it was sealed at Runnymede near Windsor on the 15th of June, 1215. And, but, but let's talk about it because it's, it's endured. It's endured, but it's endured because it, it was, it's also been revived at times. So we're covering it today because it's the anniversary tomorrow. The Magna Carta was originally called the, originally referred to as the Charter of Runnymede after where it was um, finalised, should we say. We'll go into the, what sealing means. Um, and uh, Linda, Linda's been with me to Runnymede. We went and had a look at the, um, the so we went to, to Runnymede, which is a meadow um, close by to Windsor Castle. And um, they're up until very recently, like within the last five, 10 years, the only memorial to Magna Carta, the only the only thing there which said anything about Magna Carta at all, which indicated that, that this thing had happened there was a, uh, a memorial t- set up by and rededicated on a number of occasions by the American Bar Association. Um, it uh, the British hadn't done anything. That does not taste right. Okay, <laughs> I'll go back to my water. Oh. So, Renny Mead, the place 
Um, it's a shame. Linda will know this. There's a road just right through the middle of it, which kind of messes with the ambiance uh, and the peace and quiet that you might expect of a meadow. Um, but the name comes from an old English, like old English mead is meadow, as you might have, might be able to guess. And the it was we say runny mead, but it would be something like runny mead or running mead, something like that at the, at the at the time. Um, and the the runny bit referred to a place of meet a meeting place, a place to talk, a place to parlay. So it appears to already have kind of ancient um, or at least roots in being a place of meeting uh, and maybe negotiation before Magna Carta. Um, so, so that's just a little bit about the place. The king at the time is King John. King John has been on the throne for about 15, 16 years by this point. He comes to the throne in 1199 and he is a bad king by whichever way you would like whatever perspective you would like to look at him um and so you can kind of uh if you think about it so he's by the time we have magna carta he's been on the throne for the majority of his time obviously no one knows how long he at this point how long he's going to be on the throne so he comes to the throne in 1199. By 1215, he has got the country and the ruling classes of the country into such a state that they're effectively in a civil war. And at 1215, in 1215, excuse me, you've got a bit of a stalemate between the barons and, um, and the king. Now, the king, he, like I say, a bad king. He was murderous. He was corrupt. He was tyrannical. He was ineffective as well. So it's not like he could get away with this this because he also um, was good at maintaining and expanding the, the, um, the, the I was going to say empire, not an empire, the, the lands. Um, uh, now, it is a little bit telling that out of all the people in history who, uh, well, or British history anyway, you, you've got no revisionist biography. No one's, no one's attempted to sort of revise John's, um, <laughs> the, the way we think about John, because the, the, I, I think it would just be, um, well, let's, let's go through some of the things he did. I want you to understand just how bad he was. Um, so murderous, okay. He killed his own nephew. Some reports seem to suggest by his own hand, either way, on his own orders. At the time that he had his uh, nephew, Arthur of Brittany, who was the son of his elder brother, Geoffrey, who already died, by the time he had Arthur murdered, he'd had him in prison the previous year. He was murdered in 1203. He had, John, had no heir. So he has his own legitimate heir put to death before he has an alternative which is both, you know, cruel it's, it's, and just stupid. <laughs> um, he, a famous story now of him um, uh, ordering that the, the wife and son of one of his friends, <laughs> um, uh, uh, William de Breos, 
They are imprisoned in Corfe Castle, starved to death. Horrible, horrible story. Potentially because Matilda Burroughs uh, mentions that perhaps Arthur is dead because of John, that he gave the orders. Potentially. Not actually sure why. In 1212, he hung... He had... 28 boys aged between the age of 12 and 14. Uh, sorry, by the way, like shut your ears if you don't like the, the stories of nasty, tyrannical, oh, just horrible, horrible people. Um, so yeah, 12, 12, they're holding 28 boys aged between the age of 12 and 14 as hostages. This is kind of this is this is sort of normal. They're hostages um given over by Llewellyn, Prince of Wales. Um, John hears or has word that Llewellyn has risen up again, rides directly to Nottingham Castle where these boys are kept and has them all hung immediately over the ramparts. Um, Becky, yes, King John. King John, the one and the only. If you notice, we didn't have another one. But he's also ineffective. He's lost the lands in France. He's now taxing um, his people heavily, the barons heavily, because he's trying to, um, you know, pay to go back and supposedly get them back. Um, and so he, so he can't even do uh, do that. He doesn't uphold the, the church. So the, and the, the um, spiritual safety of his, um, uh, of his, um, his, his people um caroline was that the last prince of wales no although i think he had the same name i've done a video on that as well i can't remember i think edward the first edward the first had the last prince of wales killed and he had his own son then created prince of wales and prince of wales has then been the title bestowed on the heir of the the, the, the heir of the monarch ever since. Yeah. Um, Costas, welcome. Joining live for the first time in, from Cyprus. Oh, but it's hot there. Maria normally tells me how hot it is there. Um, so, yeah, so so John doesn't uphold the spiritual safety of his um, of his, his people either. He gets uh, excommunicated by the Pope. There's an interdict put on England. That means that, that people can't have a proper burial. And... By the way, during this six-year period where people can't have a proper burial, that's when those 28 boys are killed at Nottingham Castle. They don't get a proper burial. Um, he eventually, because that also open, has opened up the country to uh, threat of invasion, he capitulates and goes cap in hand to the Pope and takes the Crusaders' vow um, of which I don't think, if you read through Magna Carta, it's quite clear that they don't actually ever expect him to go on crusade because a lot of the clauses say, you know, this will happen when I, that uh, they've written it as if he's saying it, um, come back from crusade or if I don't go. <laughs> it's like, there's this, this, this all the way through. They clearly didn't actually expect him to ever put his money where his mouth is. But because John's gone to the Pope and made this crusade as well, then he becomes... The reason he does that is he then comes under protection of the Pope. The Pope becomes his overlord. England becomes a um, part of, you know, comes under, under the Pope as well. 
Lottie Rose, what was his supposed justification for killing the boys? So Llewellyn, Prince of Wales, um, had risen up against him again, apparently. So that's what he'd heard. And so hostage, hostages were kept as a exchange for guarantee of good behaviour, good behavior, of, you know, agreed behaviour. But, you know, very, very, it, it was way beyond the norm to have them all immediately executed. Um, that was not, that was, that was particularly evil. I mean, it's not a nice practice anyway, but um, yeah. So, so, so yeah, so under John, um, uh, the Pope becomes overlord, his overlord, which means that the country becomes uh, subservient to the Pope as well in more ways than just the, 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 the church. Um, Beverly, John became a cursed royal name. The only other John was the youngest child of George the Fifth. He was epileptic and died age 13. Yeah, so just don't, don't use the name. Um, he's also corrupt. So he charged the city of London 3,000 marks to have their liberties reaffirmed. So <laughs> paying for something they already had. Um, he taxed barons above the agreed odds for their in, for in, on inheritance. He charged uh, the Jewish community a protect, protection money. So I'll protect you, but you've got to pay me. Um, and justice was for, was for sale. And you can tell that by um, if you ever get a chance to have a look through the articles which are in in Magna Carta, they're quite specific. The twelve fifteen version. This is there's there's multiple versions, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you have a look, you can see they are quite specific in places, in a lot of the places actually. And that, if you read that, then the negative, the the backwards of that is that meant that John was doing it. Whatever it's trying to get him to stop doing, it's because he was already doing it. Um, so uh, you have things like forcing uh, women to marry after they've been widowed. So it's in there to stop that. Um, you know, a woman doesn't have to remarry unless she wants to, et cetera, et cetera. That, um, that her um, dowry will be paid. Um, if her husband dies, she gets... She gets her dowry. She gets 40 days in the place she's currently living and still she can go somewhere else, but she has to have her money. There's there's all these things you can see in all the in the clauses, which, by the way, were numbered way after. The, the, it was, if you look at the original documents, of which we're fortunate, we have four of the 1215s, and I've seen the 1217, which is at Hereford as well. It's a continuous line of text. It's pulled out into clauses and numbered as such, later on really once we start interpreting it I think so that we can sort of see it clearly um now that is probably I think that was sort of the the um Julian's watching now Julian might be able to tell me but the 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 um that was the norm because vellum that it's that it's written on is incredibly expensive hard to come by you don't start nicely separating out your paragraphs you want to use every bit of space that you possibly can so um there are four remaining uh 1215 charters um 
two are at the British Library. One is at Lincoln Cathedral, one is at Salisbury Cathedral. And it wasn't too long ago that the one at Salisbury Cathedral, um, someone tried to nick it. And there is, I'm trying to think, one was sold, um, a later version was sold not too long ago for, oh gosh, I can't remember what it was now. Is it 12 million, 20 million? I don't know, whatever it is, like a lot. People really value Magna Carta and what it's come to represent. And that's that's the, one of the important things to say about Magna Carta is it represents ideas that may not necessarily really have, well, weren't in there in the beginning. The biggest one uh, that is a, is, the biggest misnomer is that it represents democracy. What I would say, the only bit in there that I that I would immediately say may represent democracy is there is a security clause. So in the 1215 one, this is taken out in the subsequent um, revisions. In the 1215 one, there's a security clause. This says that there are going to be 25 barons appointed that will basically keep the, the king to his word they're going to keep him to account and um they talk about using a majority vote if all 25 barons can't agree then they will go with the majority that's the closest thing i can find to anything um that that, that would perhaps represent democracy i don't think at all that the barons there are, um, at Runnymede were thinking about the freedom, liberties of the ordinary person any further than they didn't want the people who were in their um, uh, that were their their um, uh, the you know subservience their serfs that that they beyond that they didn't want them taken off them or being made to work on things that they didn't want them to work on, et cetera, et cetera, or made to go to war. They didn't want, they wanted control of them. The actual um, uh, freedom and liberty of the ordinary person was not on the Baron's mind in 1215. But um, so by the time you get to 1215, we've got the Baron's war. We've got this sort of civil war going on. And um, you have, the Barons actually took London. They took London. Possibly London was, I imagine a bit pissed off that they'd have to pay three three thousand marks for re reaffirming what they already had. Excuse me, in terms of liberties. So they've taken London, but John has still got control of most of his castles and he has a mercenary army. So it's a bit of a stalemate. So they begin the process by which this charter comes about. It begins with the articles of the barons. So this is a list of demands. Like I said, they're all, pretty much all, although there are a few that are added in there by um, interested parties, but the, the, the majority of them are trying to taper a specific behaviour of John, King John. So they're trying to uh, stop him from doing stuff he's already doing. Um, that is sent to John. John goes... <laughs> whatever no 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 and changes it goes back goes back goes back so you've got this shuttle diplomacy i strongly suspect that by the 15th of june 1215 
John has decided he's had enough. They meet at Runnymede, like I say, this meadow um, near to Windsor Castle, which is where John has been um, staying (laughs) during this period. And he has his seal put to the charter. So it's not uh, the pedants, the pedants gone about this. It's not signed. Okay. It's not signed. Uh, And it's, it's, it's not shut up and sealed. The seal is put on. So John's seal is put to the charter, charter of Runnymede, because that is where it has been agreed, but it's not finished. John has just decided, I think this is my theory. John has just decided that's it. I've had enough. And I have no intention of sticking to this anyway. So his seal is put on it. The 25 barons, this security clause that talks of the 25 barons, 25 barons have not been decided upon. They should be named in this document. They are not. So we know it's not finished. And immediately on having this sealed, John appeals to Pope Innocent III to get it annulled. Remembering uh, the Pope is John's overlord and John has taken the Crusaders' uh, promise, uh, pledge. So um, the Pope is only too happy to uh, to oblige on something that, uh, to, to denounce something that's an attack on absolute authority. So 24th of August, same year, 1215, 70 days after the sealing of Magna Carta, the Pope annuls it. Um, sorry, Pope is it third or second? Pope is it second, someone Google it for me. Um, and he declares Magna Carta null and void of validity forever. Forever. He describes it as illegal, unjust, harmful to royal rights and shameful to the English people. So that's why I think John puts the seal to it, is he had no, he was just bored of all this. He's clearly a very impatient man as well. He just had enough and he was, he had no intention of sticking to it whatsoever. So it was kind of didn't matter. Um, So how does it survive then? If within 70 days we have an incomplete document annulled by the Pope, who is the overlord of England anyway, How do we have it survive? Well, the following year, so so the Civil War, basically, the the skirmishes, the the arguments are still continuing. This doesn't actually solve anything, clearly, because it's it's annulled immediately. Um, John continues to be an idiot, and he manages to lose um, the crown jewels in the wash as he's going um, up north. He's not well. He is suffering from dysentery. And they stop off at an abbey, who, which name escapes me at the moment. And he's given a feast of peaches and new cider. Now, <laughs> I don't know, but it, this seems like, perfectly obvious thing not to do if you're already suffering from dysentery like peaches and cider (laughs) like had he never dealt with these things before had he never felt the tummy ache that comes with eating too much fruit I don't know um 
either way, it finishes him off and he dies at Lincoln. Um, and he is, uh, yeah, lost them in the wash. Um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and he dies. His son, Henry III, is only a boy. Um, I can't actually quite remember how young he is at the time. He's only very young. He is hastily uh, crowned at Gloucester Cathedral, um, which we'll be going to, actually, on the Private Life of Anne Boleyn tour. Just add that in. Um, so he, he's hastily crowned at Gloucester Cathedral. In fact, years later, he's he's crowned again at Westminster Abbey. So if you think, well, how come I thought all uh, kings and queens who'd been crowned, uh, who'd had a coronation were were crowned at Westminster Abbey. That is true because Henry III was crowned twice. He had he also had a, a Westminster Abbey coronation. Um, Melissa, I'm sure no one mourned. Yeah, well, but he does get his tomb. His tomb is at Worcester Cathedral. Um, oh, I could go into a whole new tangent on Arthur Tudor and why Arthur Tudor is buried at Worcester Cathedral and it's got royal connections because John's already there and we're going there on the Rise of the Tudors tour, by the way, next uh, uh, next uh, September. Um, yeah, so so John, John has a tomb. He's buried. Now, have you heard of William Marshall, the greatest knight? Well, William Marshall served um, both John's uh, father his two brothers, um, himself, and he's still around at the death of John and therefore when Henry III, the boy king, Henry III, um, yeah, becomes king. Um, hi, Chloe, down there in Australia. How are you doing? Um, and he, um, he alongside an, another person, excuse me, I can't remember his name, I mean, they're incredibly loyal. What I would say about William Marshall, he's incredibly loyal. Um, despite, by the way, John, so this is another thing John used to do. John used to tell William Marshall, the greatest knight of his time, um, incredibly interesting character, another tangent. We're going to Pembroke. Pembroke Castle was one of his castles, which we're also going on the rise of the Tudors. <laughs> um, birthplace of Henry VII, as well as uh, a castle that, that William Marshall's got a lot to do with. But he, King John would tell him that his mates had died. He'd just tell him that his mates had died in uh, in battle on the on crusade on the continent. And it, they hadn't. Um what a what a character. What a person. I want to swear we're not on history after dark, but um so John was an absolute um but so then his son, though. So John dies in very fitting manner and he, uh, he he's, he's succeeded by his son. What they decide to do is very quickly reissue Magna Carta. Um, Lottie Rose, I have one friend who actually quite likes John, but only one. <laughs> I'd question them heavily. <laughs> um, what on earth do they see in him? Um, mm. child killer extortionist womanizer all round an actual actual candidate for the C word if anyone is a candidate for the C word it's King John um, what they do is they reissue Magna Carta and they reissue it as a royal um, yeah issue <laughs> I can't think of the word I'm looking for 
they take out the clause to do with um so they take out the security clause and they issue it more of as a so where is the magna carta um or at the, the time still being referred to as charter of runnymede as when that is issued, that really is a list of things that the king agrees not to do, as opposed to a promise of what they will do. And this is the this, the, the 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 change that comes with the reissuing of 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 the charter um, via Henry the Third's the boy king's advisors. Uh, Melissa, did King John win the worst git contest? So over on History After Dark, we are doing, for 2023, we are doing the Deceased Gits League. And each week we go through the life and times of a person you might think is a bit of a git in history. Um, and some people are being um, surprisingly non-gittish. And we have a, we we score them every Every four four people that we cover, the next week we'll do a review and we'll score them. Tonight is the review and the scoring of the last four people. When we did King John, King John is very high. He is very high up there. Uh, Oliver Cromwell is high as well. I can't remember whereabouts on the league table he is. But um, I think, though, William Marshall might come in. And if we do, if we do angels or not, maybe not angels isn't the right word, heroes. Then, uh, then maybe uh, I, I think William Marshall should be in there. But they reissue Magna Carta; it's reissued as a royal document, and um, so it starts to have use for those in power. Now, when John dies, King Louis of France has still got control of most of the country. He had been invited over by the barons to take over. Um, so, so you have, so there's a whole sort of heap of negotiations going on around there uh, as well. Once Henry III comes to the throne, it's quite clear this is a document that's quite personal to King John and his rule, not necessarily the rule of the monarch. Now he, King John was awful, but there was, there's also clear, (laughs) Melissa, a less corrupt series, less git series, <laughs> slightly not so gittish series. Um, they, um, yeah, his brother Richard the Lionheart and his father Henry the Second had also started to encroach on um, kind of the 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 what the the landowning classes would have thought that was sort of more their rights and, and liberties. Um, Chloe King Louis was an odd character. Hmm. I actually, I actually don't know a fat lot around King Louis himself. That would be an interesting um, person to look into. Uh, Linda had to look up the definition of a git. It's not a term used in the USA. Yeah, we we did use a purposely used a, a bit of a Britishism. Um, well, actually, I think it naturally came out of our mouths, and then, and then, yeah, we 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 ran with it. Um, yeah, so 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 actually, King Louis in the end gets bought off, and he gets uh, paid handsomely to go back to his country and leave uh, leave the council of Henry the Third to uh, to go about their business. And Magna Carta then is reissued at times of 
kind of um I don't know, political unrest. It's reissued again in 1225. That's when Henry III becomes 18. Um, and and it's it's reissued at various times. Now, okay, so that's how it um <laughs> everyone, I'm gonna right, okay. I'm gonna have to I have the definition of git because I have to put it up on history after dark sometimes. An unpleasant or contemptible person. So go, a git is an unpleasant or contemptible person. You may now use that in your daily lives. I'm sure you've known many unpleasant and contemptible people. <laughs> uh, hopefully not personally. Uh, Lottie Rose, I, I liked the had discussion around the inaccurate mythology surrounding Richard the Lionheart. Honestly, whoever his PR people were did a great job. <laughs> uh, yeah, Richard the Lionheart was mother. His mother was quite good, uh, good at the PR around, uh, yeah, Richard the Lionheart, Coeur de Lyon. Um, Richard's people were great with that. So, yeah, so so this is, so there you go. There's a great example. John doesn't get away. I mean, John is particularly evil. But his, so his brother Richard had been, um, you know, not great either, but he also spends six months of a 10-year reign in, in this country. But he but he's really successful. Well, actually we went into some of the bits he wasn't so successful with. But anyway, um, you know, he, he has this um reputation for being successful on the battlefield. That gets you a long way in medieval uh, England. Katie, Instagram did not notify you of the tea time chat. That's rude. That's rude. Annoying. Set your own alarm. <laughs> you have to set your own alarm. Uh, I'm here next week. The following week, though, I will be on tour. So, um, yeah. So, just just to give you a heads up on that. And I might not be back the week after either. Can't remember. I'll have to tell you. I'll have to tell you the other time. So anyway, so we've looked at then how how the uh, Magna Carta survives the fact that actually within seventy days it was annulled. But then within the next year, John dies. So it's reignited uh, for uh, Henry III, the boy king, by his advisors, like people like William Marshall. Very, very clever thing to do. Um, and then it's it's reiterated. Now, things are starting to take, take, be taken out. Honestly, have a look at some of the clauses. They are, obviously, we know the famous ones, the, um, you know, to no one will you deny uh, justice, blah, 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 to no one, you, you, won't do, you won't have any of your property taken off, you deceased, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, but there's there's other ones in there. The fish weirs is one that, that uh, is usually dismissed. So all the fish weirs from the uh, from the Thames and the Medway, I think it was, has to have to be removed. And that's because the archbishop wanted to be able to um, sail up the river all the way. <laughs> so you see, there was these clauses that were specifically to curtail John's behaviour. And then there was, hey, quick, stick that one in as well. Stick that one in as well. That'll be useful. So anyway, um, so some are left in, some are taken out. The security clause is taken out. It's it's issued far more as a royal document. It's issued as a royal document from then on. Um, but it gets um, it, it 
disappears uh, at certain points. Ever heard ever heard Magna Carta brought up in Tudor times? Of course not. Of course not. You can't you can't simultaneously have something which curtails the um the power of the monarch and protects the rights of the church as separate to the monarchy when you're sticking yourself at the head of the monarchy. So that doesn't work. So you don't hear about the Magna Carta in Tudor times. When you do start to hear about it in a much, much bigger way again is during the Stuart era when they're trying to um, bring Charles I to account. And a lawyer called Cook, um, if you look him up, it's spelt Coke, C-O-K-E, as far as um, I think. Um, but he he brings it back in a big way. And from my understanding, this is where we get a lot of the ideas of it being a document of, of, of liberty and democracy and freedom. It's more um, a, an idealistic um, view. These, these, these are things that are put on to the document as opposed to they're not the reasons for the document. Oh, I said I'd talk about the name of it, actually. So it was the Charter of Renamede. When it was reissued, um, I think it's the 1217 reissue, um a forest or uh, sorry a charter of the forest was also attached now this this was separate um rules and agreements to do with how the forests literally were uh were managed so forests would be um given back to whoever they'd been taken from because john especially i think took a lot of hunting land to himself just Seconded it off and said, that's mine. Um, so that was all supposed to revert back. Anyway, so you have the, the the Charter of the Forests. So the Charter of Runnymede becomes known as Magna Carta, as in the Great Charter, as in the larger charter, to distinguish it from the smaller Charter of the Forests. So it's not great as in fab. It's great as in it's the larger of the two. So that's that's why it's called Magna Carta, or what it's referred to as Magna Carta. Um, uh, Maria, to be honest, back then you got a lot of what the, uh, the sorry of what the clause uh, clauses and laws. That it's obvious someone went. Oh, let's just stick that in there because it serves me nicely. Indeed, some of them are very specific. Like there must have been incidents of, for instance. Um, people having their horse and carts taken off them in order to transport something somewhere without them having any payment for it or say so in whether that was going to happen or not um because that's in there um history with Ali how are you Ali uh so yeah, the clauses are fascinating just to read through and see and interpret. So, so was that because that that's very specific. That must have been in response to something happening about that. Or like with the fish weirs, uh, the archbishop um, uh, just deciding, I know what, we'll get that in there, get that sorted. Protects the church, of course. Church comes first. Um, that remains in, in subsequent charters as well. But yeah, so... It does disappear for a time. Like I say, you don't see it in the coming up in the Tudor times as an example, but you do 
not long after that, see it come up with um, when the country goes into civil war again in the 17th century and you have um, people looking for a way to get rid of um, Charles I. Lottie Rose, the Archbishop, wanted his river cruise. It, it did. It just It does say, that's the other thing as well, it's specific about, all oh, the Thames and the Mediterranean and other rivers. So it's like, you know, it's a bit like when we were talking about Anne Boleyn's um, indictments on this day, this day, this day, and others. <laughs> it's like this catch-all afterwards. So, yes, so you have the lawyer uh, Cook, spelled Coke, as I say, if you want to look him up, who really brings up um, these these ideals. And then I think from that, um, you then see Magna Carta travel literally travel over to america over to other places where it's formed the basis of um of constitutions and bills of rights um that bit i would have to understand more to be able to tell you about but but the idea of it um travels far and wide and far beyond what it actually intended and what it actually said in reality um Hence, though, why copies of Magna Carta are so so um, sort. I was going to say expensive. I mean, we're talking about things that come up to uh, you know, like a Picasso. We're talking about something that might come up for auction every God knows how many years, and then be uh, auctioned off for millions and millions of pounds. Um, but it's fascinating. It's a fascinating document. It's a fascinating history, and tomorrow is the anniversary of its. Uh, it's sealing its creation, but I think it's just really, it's really uh, interesting to know that at the time of its conception and its um, first rubber stamping, uh, it was n- it was nothing like it's become. It was nothing, um, and, and it and it, you know, John, who should have been the one who uh, changed his behaviour due to it, was never gonna. Was, was looking to kill it off straight away and almost succeeded. Um, yeah, so uh, Isuaya. Oh, sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Nice to see you. How are you doing? Um, Chloe, and B, feminist of her time. Yeah, I don't know if I like the label. Like, I don't like labeling people. I've, like people in history, we have loads of labels for people now um, as to what they're kind of, I don't know, kind of the way they live, the intentions, what they feel, think. I I don't know. I mean, Anne was more of a reformer, but you know, for for what Anne might do for, um, say, for what Anne might do for women, they're women of a certain class. So then you can also say it's, you know, it's not fully feminist. I also think that's a that's a label we give. Um, 8 p.m. in Indonesia. Hello, good evening. I am doing very well. I hope you've really enjoyed that, everybody. Um, tonight, History After Dark, myself, Kat Marchant, and um, Catherine Brooks, now Ibbotson, are back on history.afterdark on Instagram, History After Dark on YouTube, and we are reviewing the last four gits that we have done, um, which I can't remember off the top of my head. Anyone want to help me out? I know we've done Samuel Peeps. We've done, oh, I can't remember. Just come and join us and find out. We're going to be scoring them. We'll be asking you if you're watching to score them on their culpability. 
and um yeah and see where we'll have a look at the league table as well we'll have a look at the league table as is uh before we do the ones tonight so that you can see where everyone is uh is landing on that table of gittishness Right, everyone. And remember, if you want to have all the benefits of Patreon, you're going to get the badges and mottos of uh, Henry VIII's Queens as a blog soon. And you will be able to... Oh, well done. William of Orange, Sarah Churchill, Samuel Pepys. And, 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 and... Oh, I'm going to kick myself. Who was it? Someone else. Uh... Yeah, so let's, <laughs> we can't remember. Join us and find out. Um, yeah, so we will, um, we'll be doing that tonight. Um, yeah, patrons, uh, and you will, so yeah, you'll be able to, um, oh, nice one, Beverly. Richard Neville, Warwick, the Kingmaker. Okay, everyone, I'm going to go. I will see you all soon. And take care. I hope you enjoyed the heat or rain or coolness wherever you are. And uh, I'll see you all soon. All right. Bye. Bye.